Welcome to Growing Through Grief. I'm your host, Diana Curtis. Growing Through Grief is a weekly sprinkle of education and inspiration to help you take action that leads to personal freedom and greatness. I share powerful conversations with grief experts, spiritual advisors, and other courageous souls in this transformational podcast. I believe with the right support and the power of community, you can eliminate unnecessary prolonged grief. I'm here to teach you how to normalize, recognize, and use grief as a growth tool. I've been a champion for growth for decades since the loss of my mother. Together, we are growing. I'll give you weekly tips and small steps that will move the needle forward so that you are experiencing a healthy inner relationship with yourself. Let's get started. So hello, Growing Through Grief podcast listeners. Today, we have a very sweet and gentle topic to talk about as it relates to grief. We are talking about grief and happiness. Just hearing the phrase together just makes me happier than I already am. So you're going to be very, very excited to spend some time with my guest today. She is the author of the book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Hmm, that's beautiful. She's also the founder of the Grief and Happiness Alliance, and that is a nonprofit. She is the host of the Grief and guess what? Happiness Weekly Podcast. And she is also a happy for no reason certified trainer. Welcome, Emily Threat. <laughs> Thank you so much for you having me here on your show. I just, I love what you do. And I think we've got a lot in common. Yes, it's called grief, right? <laughs> and I know you have experienced lots of losses, just like myself, to husbands, parents, and other extended family, and probably some close friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is that the reason you're doing this work? Um, basically, yeah. Af after my second husband to die died, I found myself thinking, okay, now what do I do? <laughs> I had been taking care of, of each, both my husbands who died, died of the same thing. And both were sick, pretty sick for two years before they died. And so I ended up with my whole life devoted to taking care of them. And after Ron, who was the second husband to die, I, I thought, i got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I know it's going to be different, and I know it's going to be positive, and I, I want to help people. I know that. And it all kind of started from there. Yes. Yeah. I also failed to mention that Emily lives in Hawaii, and... That just also makes me happy just saying it. So that's another reason why she's probably so happy. <laughs> so, it yeah, is. I think both of us probably chose this body of work because of our losses and mm -hmm. having lost two husbands and striving to be positive and happy 
doing the grief journey, it's not always easy, right? No, it's not. And I was trying to just deal with my situation after Ron died. And I, I wrote a lot because I'm, I'm a writer. I still teach at the university in California because I can do it online. I teach writing. I've done that for many years. And writing just kind of is, it comes naturally to me. It's how I, I deal with things in life in general. So I was writing a lot. And the more I wrote, I thought, I betcha I could help other people deal with their grief by learning how to write the kinds of things that I'm writing. Mm -hmm. And I had just moved to Hawaii two years before Ron died. We came here because he had lived here long before I knew him, and he loved it here, and this is where he wanted to be. So I gave up my what I thought was my forever home <laughs> and left everything behind in, in California and came to Hawaii. And I didn't know a whole lot of people here. And I thought, I don't know how I can help people if I don't know anybody to help. Mm -hmm. So I had heard of Meetup and I thought, well, I'll just put a little notice on Meetup and see if anybody's interested. So I put a, a notice on Meetup saying that if, if you'd like to learn how you can use writing to help you deal with grief, come on over to my house on this day and time. And they did. <laughs> I was so surprised <laughs> at a really nice group of people. And they were dealing with all kinds of different grief and loss. Um, I was kind of thinking since at, at that moment I was dealing with being a widow, I was just assuming that those would be the people who would want to come. But they had all kinds of things, children, friends, loss that, that wasn't due to death, but they were dealing with a significant loss in their life. And we started writing together uh, once a month, and they liked it so much. They said, can we come back more often? So <laughs> we started meeting every other week, and it, it was so good to have someone who was dealing with loss, too, to talk to somebody who would get what we were experiencing and could relate. And that was great. And until the pandemic <laughs> and this particular group of people weren't really interested in doing it online. So I, I started something online and, and was working on that there too. But in the meantime, I, I got the inspiration for writing my book and that kind of took me in a different direction too. And that that was such a, a great experience for me that and I know how much it's helped people. I I'm get contacted all the time saying I am so grateful for your book. It was just just what I needed. I, I had to I needed that love and support right now. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. I wholeheartedly believe that community is so very important when you've lost something or someone. So Emily, you mentioned the kinds of things that you were writing about. Share with us a little bit more about what that looked like. Well, there are different things that you can do in writing. I think when people mention something like writing through grief, they think about just writing in their journal, whatever pops into their head at the moment. And while that's valuable, and I do that, uh, there are other things that you can do too. And one of them that I did uh, early on was I taught them how to write haiku, which is a Japanese form of poetry. 
and it has a, a very concise structure. The the first it has three lines. The first line has five syllables. The second line has seven syllables, and the third line has five syllables. And generally, the the they were created to be written about nature, and they were created to have the that third line be something of a surprise or something that was significant. And so we we started writing haikus, and they really liked that because it was a way to boil down, especially people who who considered themselves kind of non-writers. They could use a few words to put together something that was really significant to them, and it helped them find all these different ways that they could deal with grief and what was going on. And I've, I've got one person that was in that very first class that still writes haikus every day <laughs> because she found that it helped her so much. So, and that's not something that if I was sitting down and saying, what can I teach, uh, you know, about grieving that's going to help people, I wouldn't have thought of haikus to start off with. But there's some reason I was inspired to do that. And I'm so glad I did. And I've, I've done it a lot of times since then. And people respond really well to it. Another thing that I do probably my favorite thing is to write a letter to whoever it is that who has transitioned. And I do that whenever I feel like doing it or when it's a a special date. Last week on the 4th, it was the, my husband Ron died five years ago that day. And so I, I wrote him a big long letter. And then on the 7th, it was Jacques' birthday. And so I wrote him a big, long letter. And when you write the letters like that, you can just pour out anything that you want to tell him that you would be telling him if if you could, if you were talking to him face to face right now. Mm -hmm. And then after I finish, I write a letter back to me from them. Yeah. And it's not something that I plan. It's just whatever comes out at that moment. And it's generally powerful and comforting. Mm-hmm. And I really like that technique, and I, I strongly advise it to people who, who are dealing with grief, it's especially when a loss is sudden and you didn't have a chance to anticipate it or process it or anything. It's like all of a sudden it's there, and and you feel like, oh, I wish I would have said, or if only I had said. And yes. if, if you write these letters, it really helps with that. Right, right. So haiku, I never heard of it. Mm. Uh, three lines. Give mm-hmm. us an example. What would that? Just an example. What would it? What would those three lines consist of? Let me see. I was just writing one the other day. I'm actually working on a big art project that has to do with with haikus right now. Okay. Um, I think I wrote one here where I can grab it real quick. They, these are not necessarily related to grief, but they're ones that I just I had my phone and so that's what I was thinking about and I wrote them, but it gives you an idea for what haiku sound like. Relaxing outside, breathing in the f- sweet, fresh air, breathing loss away. Mm. Then another one, what would he say now? Everything is so different, longing for his voice. So that that uh, you know that they're short, but you can kind of create a whole story about just mm-hmm. the the few words that are said in the high school. So I heard in those six lines the relaxation, the breathing, and then there's a moment of releasing. 
But also, mm-hmm. I wonder, was just accepting what is and exploring mm-hmm. and getting curious about that. Yes, yeah. that's that's a really good way to describe it. I, I like that. I wonder what would he think or what would she think? Yeah. And the letter writing, having an opportunity to say those things that you wish you had said before your loved ones move to the other side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that. And, you know, things things come up, like things, speaking of the five years with Ron, things are different now than they were five years ago. Uh, we hadn't expe- experienced a pandemic together, you know. Things are, are really different now. And it's kind of, I sometimes I, I think, I wonder what Ron would say about that, or I wonder what Jacques would say about that. And by doing this kind of writing, I can get a feel because, you know, basically when when you're that close to someone, you probably know what they would say about that <laughs> and, or something along that lines. And it's kind of cool to just write it out and, and think about it. And it, to me, it brings comfort. Yeah. Yeah. As you're talking, what's coming up for me is there's that continuation of the relationship with That's your right. even though it's not physical, the physical body is not there. You know, that energy, those memories of your loved one is still there. And it mm-hmm. doesn't mean they have to disappear. You know, it's real if we make it real, if we accept it and bring it in. That's right. It, it's, it's absolutely real because all we've got is is what we know, you know, really. <laughs> and everybody knows something different. Mm-hmm. And you can, things that you recall can just be really special. And when I recall something, I like to write it down in my journal. I, I was just thinking this morning about my grandmother. And she died when I was 13 years old. But I had spent a lot of time with her because my parents were frequently out of town and so that's where I lived most of the time with grandma. And I remember whenever I'd go to her house, she'd be standing outside waiting for me. And she always gave me a big hug. And to some people that might not seem that significant, but nobody hugged in my family. <laughs> I was really kind of after I, I left home, when people would come up to hug me, because I just, I wasn't used to it, but grandma would hug me and that hug felt so good. And I could smell the carnation. They called it toilet water at the time, but it's like cologne. (laughs) I don't know why they called it that, but that's, that's what they called it. And I, I, when I smell carnations, I think of her because I, I remember that fragrance when I'd have those, those wonderful hugs and just writing about it made me feel comfortable, made me smile, made me think positive things about my grandmother. Yeah. Yeah. It's a moment to experience it again. Mm -hmm. You know, you imagine it, you really get into it. It's happening right then, you know, Mm -hmm. physically, but yeah, we get to experience, continue to experience and have relationships with our loved ones. Yeah. And there's no hug like a grandmother's hug, right? That's right. My mother died when I was three, so that was the hug for me, my grandmother. I don't recall the hug from mother, but I know it was there. I just, you know, I remember the hug from a grandmother and from others. And our families were, uh, my family was not the hugging type. 
I actually learned how to and began to embrace hugging uh, once I started to worship and go to church. Mm. Yeah. 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 That often you find that that comfort there with without. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about happiness and grief. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what does that look like as you, what does it look like to feel happy while grieving? You know, I, I just actually wrote a blog about that this morning mm-hmm. because it was, sometimes I'll just wake up and my blog's right there in my mind. And I, I do publish a blog every week in addition to the podcast every week. But the the blog was about, now, let me see if I can say this. It's interesting. I just finished writing it, and all of a sudden, it's like I got it. Yeah, but it's it's about how um, important it is to be mindful, because we we all have that little voice in our head. You know, some some people call it the monkey mind, and it's something that uh, with mine, I feel like it's very active and bounces around and has the whole lot to say. And it can get in the way of of your happiness because it'll tell you things like, oh, wow, you had two husbands die. How can you go on? How can you live with a situation like that? That's that's the sort of thing this monkey mind will tell you. And when you, you learn to be mindful, you can one of the ways that you can be mindful is to start practicing meditation. And with that, when, when I start to I'll sit down, sit up real straight in a chair with my feet on the floor, take some nice deep breaths, and my monkey mind will say, you're trying that again? Don't you have something else to do? Did, did you remember to take the, what you needed out of the freezer? And that kind of gets in the way of your meditation. <laughs> so when, when I start to meditate and I start to hear that monkey mind start up, I go, you know, I know how hard you work at this. I know that you're trying to guide me. I know that you're trying to help. And you're busy all the time doing that. And you deserve a break. So I want you to just take a chance to sit back and relax. And we'll both have this silent moment together. And I I know you'll be back around. And I'm not kicking you out permanently. I just need some space. And when I do that, it gives me room to smile because I'm not having this this constant negative self-talk. And when when then when I'm not meditating after that, I've kind of done a reset so that I can I remember the positive things and I remember what makes me smile. And so I'll I'll concentrate on on that. And with that it actually kind of calms down that uh, voice in my head. A little bit so that, that I can focus on what's good. And then I'll I'll smile a lot more. I know when I first got together with Ron, I, I didn't realize before that that I didn't smile very much at all. Just mm-hmm. didn't think about it. It just wasn't my natural state of being. And I wasn't unhappy. It's just that I guess my face didn't express it very much. And he'd, he'd mention it to me. Uh, every once in a while, you know, smile, and I, I smile on command, you know. <laughs> and so he said, you know, every time you pass a mirror, why don't you smile at yourself or something, any kind of reflection of you? And I thought, well, 
that sounds kind of dumb, but I'll do it anyway. And and I did, and it, it felt good. And I got more in the habit of smiling. And I realized, and this is going to sound really kooky to you, but you can see when I smile now how I've got these kind of puffy cheeks. It makes kind of a V right here. When I was in about third grade or so, we did school pictures and I had a great big smile. And all I could see was those big puffy cheeks and this big V. And I thought, nobody else has that in their picture. (laughs) So I'm going to look serious in my pictures from now on so that I don't show off this what I was thinking was very negative and it, it, it related all the way back to then this brief school picture moment that I had that got me out of the habit of smiling at all and unless I was you know laughing at something funny or something but I just wasn't in the habit so it was habit that I needed to develop to smile and I would think well I can't just smile for the sake of smiling I need to have something to smile about so I'd start discovering things that that were happy or beautiful like I'll be out in my yard and I'll go oh that lavender is so gorgeous today mm-hmm. or I'd see a butterfly go by and I'd remember how when when Ron and I would we sat outside a lot in this last couple of years the butterflies would come and land on him when we were just sitting there talking, it, it was so interesting to see that. So whenever I see a butterfly, I, I think of him and that makes me smile. So when you have these positive uh, memories or triggers, then you, you'll find yourself, your smiles popping up all the time and you can't smile and not be happy. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So you started with the mindfulness mm-hmm. and moving into to me, that's just being very present, being very mm-hmm. present and aware and moving into that phase of meditation, the silence, uh, the stillness inside. And which leads to, I love you said, smile on the man, but I need something to smile. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. there became, you became more aware. There was a deeper sense of awareness, whether it's the butterfly that landed on your loved one or something different. It's always been there, right? Mm-hmm. But now yeah. you're aware of it and you see it. For me, that's the red bird. I know red birds have been in this world forever, but I'm beginning to see them more yeah. and more and more. Now that I know the meaning, the symbolic, the spiritual meaning of red birds that my ancestors are vi- visiting me. And of course, I'm going to claim it as my mother visiting me. So when we get still, just get still because we are seeking ourselves. If we get still with ourselves, there we are. There we mm-hmm. are. That's and right. it's not going to all be peaches and cream. And I love that you shared. Well, there was no judging of whatever mm-hmm. comes up for you. There was no judging around it. it it's there. I see you. I'm actually going to love on you. I welcome you. And then I'll let you move on through, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Move right on through. And we're done until the next time. Mm-hmm. Versus the judging and the resisting. And when we resist it, it's not going anywhere. We're just creating more and more and more. But when you know it's there to protect you, to love on you, then you too can give it that same love and compassion, Right. That's right. What a beautiful way to say it. I, I really like how you put that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. I, I was thinking too when when you were just saying that about how one of the things that helped me a lot, uh, as I said, Ron and I used to sit outside and we'd talk <laughs> constantly, and one of the things we had this big discussion about was love and fear. And there's uh, several philosophers have said something about there only two real emotions in life, and that's love and fear. And so we would talk about what we loved and what we feared, and we both realized that we'd gotten to a point in our life that we had pretty much let go of fear because it, it didn't serve us. It didn't help us in any way. And when you're not fearing anything, it's a lot easier to smile. Yeah. Because if, if you're afraid of what's going to happen, if you say or do something or if the weather changes or whatever it is, then then it keeps you constantly kind of on edge and, and that love and happiness isn't coming in. Yeah. But when you really release fear, I, I feel now that I don't really have anything to be afraid of. Yeah. You know, people might say they're afraid of death. Well, I'm, I'm not afraid of death. You know, I've known a lot of people who died and I still remember them and things are still positive about them. And when the time comes, the time comes. So I really am, am not afraid. Actually, I don't fear anything. Because right. I feel like I'm okay, and I will be okay no matter what happens. That's and that, that opens that door for love, and love opens that door for happiness. Yeah, yeah. And even with the fear, if it shows up, welcome that. And then mm-hmm. Because how do we understand a no love or safety without having experienced some form of fear? Right. It's when the fear ripples us. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how you talked about the the dimple in the face. <laughs> and we tend to I'm beginning to relate that to aging. But I love your analogy that we had this when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And then you told yourself that it was something negative and you lost your smile until yeah. you came back to the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So love and fear. Share your perspective on the other G. And the other G for me, besides grief, is guilt. <laughs> That's another thing you've got to let go of. I can let go of a lot of things. And my writing helped me with that. Because with with guilty, I, I could sit down and say, okay, what do I feel guilty about? And there were things, I, I can give you an example um, with my daughter. When my, my mom and dad lived about an hour away, and whenever they'd come into town, they'd call us at the last minute and say, yeah, we're at this coffee shop. You want to come say hi? And <laughs> it wasn't always easy to do, but one day they did that, and I called my daughter and told her where we, we were going to be and when if she wanted to come by. And she did. She just she just kind of zoomed in and gave him a hug and told him, you know, just what was going on in her life real briefly. And then she had to go someplace, and she left. Well, not long after that, my father died unexpectedly, just He'd been dealing with health issues for a long time, but he wasn't anything that we'd consider terminal. He just died. And she had a really hard time with it because she said, I didn't tell him I loved him the last time I saw him. And she beat herself up over that. For I don't, I'm not sure she's ever really given 
gotten over that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that it's sad to, to hold yourself down by that because I know he knew how much she loved him. They had a really beautiful relationship. And there's no question in my mind that he knows that. And he, he wouldn't be happy thinking that she was sad that she hadn't said that because he does, he did, um, and I say does, love her. So if you if you look at things that you feel guilty about, if you really examine them, a lot of times you'll see they're not real. There's something you made up. Right. And that sounds like kind of a strange statement, but it really is because guilt is, is kind of manufactured. And if you're very sure of yourself, confirmed in, in the love in your life, you'll find that you don't have things that you need to worry about being guilty about. And if you identify something that you feel that you're, you're guilty for, then write about it. Write it all out. Because the, the more you write it, the more you work through it. I, I'll give you an example of that. When I was in high school, I had a terrible experience that led to somebody's arrest. It was it was really, really terrible experience. And I found myself feeling guilty, even though there was no guilt with me in this situation at all. Uh, And he deserved to be arrested and and go to jail. But I somehow felt guilty that I put this guy in jail when I didn't do that. His actions led to his results. I, I didn't do it, and I really didn't have anything to do with that. But it still weighed on me heavily for years mm-hmm. that I kind of felt responsible for that. And I mentioned I teach writing at the university and at this night class once I was teaching and I was having them write something in class right then and everything was really quiet. And I thought, well, I'm going to write something too. What am I going to write about? And it just came into my mind that I needed to write about that experience. And I, I, wrote it. I didn't have enough time to finish the whole thing. So I I took it home with me and continued until I had written everything I needed to say about it. And this was probably 15 years later. And once I did that, it was like the weight of the whole situation was lifted off my shoulders because in that exploration of my writing, I realized for sure I had nothing to feel guilty about. Right. And that that guilt was holding me back from joy in other situations mm-hmm. and that that's no way to live. And so I, I forgave him because I think forgiveness is really, really important. But I also forgave me for carrying that around for as long as I did and believing it. Yeah. Self-forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What a perfect example. And as you were speaking, I was thinking grief, guilt. Well, the guilt could potentially keep you from reaching that place of happiness. Oh, yeah. Taught years ago that guilt has this thing about punishment should follow. If Mm -hmm. I'm guilty, I should be punished. Meaning a lot of times people don't think they deserve certain things or mm-hmm. they don't deserve to be happy if they feel like uh, they didn't say goodbye to grandpa. Mm-hmm. And guilt also 
the Grief Recovery Institute taught us this. That's where I got my training around grief, that ask yourself the question, whatever happened, was did I do it with malice intent? Did I do this on purpose? Did I leave without saying, I love you, Grandpa, on purpose? Knowing that he, I would never see him again? Absolutely not. There's no malice intent. There's no space for guilt. That's and right. I also thought of um, Katie Byron's work, you know, maybe doing those columns. Is that really true? Is it really true? I'm to blame and there's guilt. And if it's not true, who would I be without this guilt? So there's so many. That's right. Guilt can really, really trip you up and you're in it and not even realize it, right? Totally. Absolutely. That I, I love what you said about Byron Katie. She's she's an amazing person. I've not only read her books, but I got to actually listen to her in person once. And she's she's really great. And for your listeners, if you Google the work, it mm-hmm. will come up with Byron Katie's The Work. And it gives you the quest, questions. Um, I don't remember how many of them there are. It's not a lot. But yeah. you answer them sequentially. And by the time you get to the end of it, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I dealt with that, you know. It's really, really great. Yeah. So, Emily, you've shared already some, I'll call them happy, happiness practices. And clearly, writing is a powerful tool. It's how Mm -hmm. you use. And I love that you've taken that from your professional life and brought it into this healing process around grief. What if there is a person who is listening to this conversation and say, oh, that sounds really good. It sounds easy, but not for me. I'm just not able to reach that place of never mind happiness, but the chaos, the turmoil, the mourning. What would you tell them? Yeah, everything else that you have to deal with. I encourage them to be with people who understand them in some way. And that that could be anything, anybody from a counselor to a a group to a friend, whoever it is. But a lot of times people deal with that sort of stuff on their own without any, any guidance or any hugs or anything that helps them. And they can beat themselves up, especially if they feel guilt, like we were just talking about. It's it's really hard for them to let go. And that's one of the reasons that I, I created the Grief and Happiness Alliance, that uh, we meet every week and we have a, a nonprofit. Our nonprofit supports us so that people don't have to pay to come to that. Mm-hmm. And we, every week, will... I will give them a different topic and they'll write about that topic for a little bit. And then we discuss what we wrote and it's, it gets pretty profound. People are amazed at what comes out when they do that. And then we end the meeting. uh, This is on zoom. So anybody can come from any place. Uh, We end the meeting with a happiness practice and there's tons of different kinds of happiness practices by being a certified happy for no reason trainer. 
I have access to all of the things that Marcy Shymoff uses based on all of her research she did over the years uh, that are happiness practices. But once I did that, I started finding all these other people. They're, they're teaching happiness classes in, in universities, in the big Ivy League universities now. They're teaching happiness classes. And there are lots of books written on it. And there's so many different things and different ways to be happy. And you, if you immerse yourselves at yourself in something positive, you're going to go in a positive direction. And if you sit by yourself and let your monkey mind tell you how bad off you are, <laughs> that's what you're going to get. Yeah. So it's it's really important to find support. And if, if you're not ready to go and talk to somebody, then read. Mm-hmm. Because you can do that on your own. You don't have to have somebody else in the room with you. And you don't have to worry about whether you're crying through it or not. You can just read. And the more you read, and there are so many really good books out there. Of course, I love mine. But <laughs> there are a lot of other really, really good books out there that can help a lot. And on all different levels. And that one good one that I just read, read was the uh, the hospice doctor's wife, I think it's called. And what she did was collage her experience of, of going through her husband's illness and, and death. And so that each page has has really interesting illustrations because they're, they're photographs of these collages. And then the, there aren't that many words on the page. Mm. So you can get through the whole book in a sh- very short period of time. But boy, you, you feel like you've had that nice big hug by the time you get finished with it. So it's, even if you're not a reader, you can read something like that. Yeah. So, so the there's community, the read, community is very important. Community. In support. It doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist or a coach or what, whomever. Uh, it could be a friend who's just there to witness your pain and hold you emotionally while you're going through it. Um, so that all of those things are very important. I, too, like your alliance program. I have the Compassionate Hearts community where women just come together and be together and understand. We understand each other. Right. There is no judging, safe space. And it definitely will get rid of some of the loneliness that people are experiencing in the world. So last question, what took you in your healing process? What took you the longest to learn? You know, Mm. the thing you had to do over and over again until you finally said, hmm, okay, I got the lesson. I know now. (laughs) That's really interesting. And I think after Jacques died, he was the first husband that died. I couldn't seem to do anything. I was by myself. I wasn't getting any invitations to go anyplace. And I knew tons of people and had been very active in the community. So it seemed odd to me that people weren't inviting me to do things. But I also didn't have the whatever it took to pick up the phone and invite somebody to do something with me. Right. And it it took me quite a while to get to the point where I realized that I wasn't going to move forward until I gave that up, gave up that solitude that I was dealing with. Yeah. It didn't make me happy to stay by myself, right. but it was it was the best I could do at the moment. Right. 
And what did it for me, and this is another thing that's probably going to sound kind of strange, Jacques died in February. And when New Year's rolled around, I was thinking, I've got to make some changes. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I've got to make some changes. And I thought about writing resolutions and I thought, well, those haven't worked in the past. You know, <laughs> got all these good intentions and write 20 resolutions. And by the third week, you, most of them are gone. So I thought, what what's one thing that I can focus on that's going to help help me move forward? And what came to me was to accept invitations. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's bizarre. Nobody's inviting me anyplace. And I thought, I just have to put it out there and be aware of when an invitation comes. Because it could be that people had been inviting me all along and I just wasn't paying attention uh, to, to get it. And once I committed to that, the invitations rolled in. And I had experiences that I never would have had before with people I never would have gotten to know if I had been in this constant saying no position. But when I switched over to saying yes, Yes. my whole life changed. And that that was probably the biggest change and took me longest to get to. Mm. So I'm hearing a closed heart versus an open heart. An open heart. Absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. Giving yourself permission to allow others in because most people don't know what to do, what to say. And a lot of times we're judging that, which closes us off, build the wall so nobody can get past. People can't penetrate through that wall that we build up for ourselves. And then we don't understand why the people disappear. Yeah, we, we tend to judge them for, you know, you were my friend before. Where are you? <laughs> and a lot of times they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They're, they're afraid that they'll cry if they see you. And they they think that that's not going to help you. And And your friends, even good friends, can make up all sorts of reasons to not be with you. Yeah. But when when you start opening up and saying yes, then they can start relaxing too. Mm-hmm. And you can get back right. into to relationships that you had before, but you can also find new ones that are that are beautiful too. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So what else would you like to share with them? We have a few more minutes. What else would you like to share with the listeners? It's been such a sweet, you have such a sweet, gentle comforting energy. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I I think the the one thing that I always tell when people ask me what, you know, what what should I do in grief? And I always say take care of yourself. Self-care. Mm-hmm. Because so many times people that's the last thing on their mind. They can go for weeks without a shower or they mm-hmm. eat just bags of cookies. Or, or they don't eat anything hardly at all. Uh, there's, there's lots of things that, that we do for ourselves because we're just not thinking. And once you start paying attention to yourself and taking the very best care of you that you can, even if that means getting in a nice hot shower and really enjoying being there, enjoying the feeling. 
Yeah. That's that's huge. That doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to invite somebody over for that. You know, <laughs> it's um it's just really, really important to take care of yourself. Yeah. As you when you said um take care of yourself, everything that I do, all of my courses is a journey through four pillars. The spiritual, you spoke about it. That's the stillness. That's the meditation. That's connecting back to your inner self, your inner peace. That love is still there. It may be covered up by the pain of losing your loved one, but it's still there. And it requires us getting still, getting quiet, silence, and meditation. The other part is the mental. You said we're not thinking. Maybe we are thinking and don't realize the thing that we're thinking is causing more pain. The very thing that we say we don't want, that's what we're obsessed about, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, pain. And then that pain that that moves us into the emotion of grief. So the spiritual, the mental, the emotional. And then the example for me for the physical, the action that we take are related to what you just said. The action might be solitude, isolation. So everything that I do, I'm looking at those four pillars how is the person showing up in life? What are you telling yourself? How are you taking care of yourself? So self-care to me is those four pillars and it's so, so important. And I, yes. yes, of course, we got the basic, you know, the food, um, the exercise and the sleep. Of course, that's important. But in addition to that, those other elements are so, so important. So thank you for reminding me of that. Thank you for reminding me of that. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> So Emily, it's been a pleasure and I, hopefully we can do this again. There's so much more to talk about when it comes to grief and happiness. And when you and I first met, I asked you the question, well, what are some of the reactions you get when you say grief and happiness in the same sentence? Uh, The possibilities are limitless. They're just there. So thank you for bringing light to that. Oh, thank you. And I, I just enjoy talking to you so much. And your your positive spirit is it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So the two of us together, whoo. Yeah, <laughs> we can go far. <laughs> exactly. Pretty mellow and fun and just peaceful. Just peaceful. Just peaceful. So thank you to my listeners. And you know, I will see you again next week. Same time. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Growing Through Grief and being part of this loving community of women. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share and spread the word. Let's help all women become richer and more nourished in their heart so that they're able to just keep on rising. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or topic ideas, or you would like to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at coachingtotheheart.org. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep on growing.